Hello friends and Happy New Year. Yes, despite the date, I firmly believe that it should be acceptable to wish someone a Happy New Year if it's the first interaction of the year. I'm willing to die on that hill. But <laughs> this this uh, this first episode of 2022, we start with the wonderful guest that is Dr. Cassie McVeigh. Cassie is a mother of four, a freshwater swimmer and an experienced female GP. Originally from County Fermanagh, she went to Trinity in UCD and undertook her GP specialist training in Sligo. She has a special interest in women's health issues and has undertaken additional training in menopause care. This podcast provides a lot of information on menopause, which is rarely spoken about in the public domain. Cassie talks about a range of symptoms that can come along with menopause, so many symptoms that I was definitely not aware of, and ways in which these symptoms can be reduced, along with much more. In 2019, yes, hard to believe, Seb and myself started this project with the aim of destigmatizing discussions that are on our minds but often neglected in conversation. And in 2022, we are committed to this aim as ever. Thanks a million to Dr. Cassie McVeigh for her time, knowledge, and humor. And if you'd like to learn more about her practice, check out the link in the show notes. Thanks, friends. All the best. Dr. Cassie McVeigh, welcome back to the welcome to the podcast. Well, this is the first podcast this year. Uh, what's the crack? How are you keeping? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good. Um, another, uh, I'm, I suppose I said I'm pretty hectic at the moment. Um, uh, so just trying to get my kids back to to school and uh, working through all the the stuff going on in the the. I work as a GP as well as as doing menopause stuff. So so kind of trying to sort that stuff out after Christmas is always fun and games. Um, people. Uh, need yeah. stuff looked at maybe they put to one side and um trying to kind of get myself in a good space for the the start of the year so i'm kind of trying different things i'm doing a bit of a social media uh disconnect at the moment which is um really nice uh oh. and um yeah trying to uh change a few things um you know going into the new year so yeah i'm good have you noticed the the mind being less active from the social media like disconnect do you know what i i was never on facebook until um relatively recently like maybe maybe a year maybe less than a year and i only joined it because oh, wow. um i sea swim and the sea swimming was organized through facebook so i kept missing all the alerts and things like that and then i was trying to use my husband's facebook to um sort of sneak in the back door and he kind of was like for god's sake just you know sign up to Facebook for goodness sake. So I did in the end. Um, and then I, and then I ended up with the business and stuff. So I put it on there as well. And then Instagram find me and I was just like finding that I was just spending ridiculous amounts of time scrolling through rubbish. And, and it was kind of like, um, and then the last couple of nights I've, before I did this, I was just sleeping really badly. And, um, my head just was so so busy all the time when I was going to bed. Just I don't even know what it was thinking about. Yeah. And I normally sleep really well, so it's kind of one of my um, like I'm really proud of my sleep. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I love the fact that I like get into bed and go to sleep. And I was kind of anxious that this was leaving me, so I was like, God, do you know what I'm going to do? So I took my phone and I took Instagram off it, and I took Facebook off it, and I took all the alerts off it, and I took um, I've gone through my email, so everything people are sending me. Um, emails from shops or whatever i'm just unsubscribing 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 and you know it's only a couple of days but i actually feel way better it's really funny you know and i was like what did i do before i looked at this the whole time you know so um and then i was reading an article in the irish times at the weekend about 
tech and how they they're ruining our ability to focus and um I was showing it to my husband actually and I was like god it's so true how you get even no matter how strong you think you are it's so difficult to um you know to resist uh, technology because they're so clever at getting us um clicking and staying uh, connected and things yeah. like that so um yeah so I was just saying about um leaving 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 my uh, social media a little bit <laughs> which is great congrats yeah. I, I I recently purchased um like a old Nokia phone, a Nokia one oh six. Yeah, I, I and so it's my plan to. Yeah, you're doing a Ryan Tuberty because <laughs> is that what Ryan Tuberty does? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have a like a he has like a, a brick, I suppose, as we would call them. Yeah, yeah, for that very reason. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's one of the few things that me and Ryan Tuberty have in common, I would say. There you go. Yeah, well, you're both from Dublin, so I suppose <laughs> that might be, that might be. And, ah, and you like talking yeah. to people, so there you go. Yeah. Maybe we have a, a, a small difference in pay bracket, but maybe that. Yeah, that's well, that's it. true. Yeah, I think all of us uh, and Ryan Tuberty have a small difference in pay bracket. But yeah, <laughs> yeah he's big into, uh, and the funny thing is, like, I don't even post on social media, so it's not like, um, like I never post any updates or pictures of, I have like a picture on my, took me ages even to put a profile picture up. Um, but then people were going, do you know, it's only like serial killers who don't have a Facebook page. And I was like, I think that's not true. But, um, but so apparently I've like, uh, yeah, taken myself off the serial killer potential list. So by joining Facebook, but um, definitely, yeah, I, 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 I just feel, I feel lighter. It's really, really nice. I just don't feel like I'm constantly going, oh, what did Vogue Williams do today on Instagram? Do you know? So it's great. Great. Fantastic. Well, that's a, that's a lovely way to start the, the podcast. For Before we get into it, Cassie, for listeners who might, who might be unfamiliar with your work, do you mind telling us a bit about yourself and, and how you came to be doing what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, sure. Um, so I don't know how far back you want to go. So I suppose I... Um, I started off as a dentist. Um, I qualified probably, um, oh gosh, 2001, actually, I was thinking. Um, and I did that for not very long, actually. I only did it for a year before I decided that I wanted to do medicine. Um, and that was mainly my parents were both doctors in Northern Ireland. And um, I'd always wanted to do something in the caring profession. And my dad had said to me that dentistry was a better job for a female, um, which sounds quite sexist. But I think, you know, he was a man of his generation. And I understand why he would have said that. And it was he was he was right you know um but I got to the end of dentistry after five years uh did a year of it and then sat in in a lecture and was like you know what this just is never going to go I'm going to have to scratch this itch so I went back to um college so in 2002 and so I went to UCD in Dublin and I did medicine then with a load of people six years younger than me which at the time I thought I was ancient even though I think it was about 26 or 27 or something um, and now it's quite common for people to do uh, medicine as a mature student so I did that and then I went straight on to GP training uh, and I completed that up in Sligo um, because my husband is a surfer and it was the only way to ever spend any time with him so I moved to Sligo um, and he cancelled our first date to uh, because the waves were too good so that was me Given my uh, given my ideas of where I featured in pe in the pecking order, so uh, so we moved to Sligo and I did the GP training, and then um, I ended up doing quite a lot of women's health, and then um, 
In recent years, my sister, my older sister, who's suffered a lot with her hormones over the years, um, she's had postnatal depression and she's had um, a thing called PMDD, which is the thing called um, uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So it's quite like a really serious form of um, PMT. Um, so she suffered from that as well. And because of that, she had read a lot about hormones, actually, and she kept bringing these back to me almost <laughs> Like a, like a cat a cat with a it caught a mouse, you know. She kept, you know, this is really interesting. Or look at this, you're going to really enjoy this. And I, for ages, I was kind of like, um, ah, you know. And, and then eventually, I started really looking at it, and I was like, Do you know what, this is actually really interesting. And and I I had a whole kind of um, awakening to 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 the menopause and to um, women's hormones in midlife and stuff. And once I started learning about it, I just couldn't stop. I just found it so interesting. So, um. Uh, that's kind of how I got into it then. And then um, about a year ago uh, or a year and a half ago, I started um, kind of um, seeing menopausal women in my GP surgery and that got really busy. You know, I just put, um, there you go, social media, I put a, we put a post up on our um, GP website, just sort of giving some of the lesser known symptoms of menopause. So we were saying, you know, um, do you have low libido? Are you tired all the time? Um, are you suffering from uh, anxiety? These kind of things. Then you could be perimenopausal or menopausal. You know, please make an appointment. You know, if you'd like to make an appointment to discuss this, please come in. And we got so many patients and um, booking appointments. So it got to the point where I wasn't able to sustain that within my GP surgery because obviously there's the normal standard patients that we have in the practice uh, and, and I uh, share that practice with my husband and um, so I decided to start a separate clinic and here we are yeah so it's been brilliant like really really good yeah. Can I ask when you were studying medicine and forgive my ignorance because as someone who's never studied medicine I would have don't know how it's taught but were there any like modules or anything where you had to like study menopause kind of specifically or was it kind of not swept under the rug but kind of brushed over kind of very generally uh, this is kind of the yeah. norms is what we're supposed to see and just move on from there type thing yeah absolutely so it was extremely quick um I don't really remember it being any really significant fact at all except perhaps definition of menopause um and one or two symptoms and that was really it like so much more of a focus on and to be honest like not a great focus on say gynecological um health in in younger people for example so teenage gynecology or um and again actually something which i find extraordinary well it's not extraordinary but things like um transgender issues and things like that so we didn't it, it was just not part of our curriculum at all and I really don't know if it is yet um, and I think that you know like I think even transgender is even the worse off relative of menopause because again it's still hormones um, but there's a lot of stuff we're not taught in medical school and then you come out and you're expected to sort of feel your way through it um, and that can be very difficult and I suppose the only other thing we were taught was um, stay away from hormones um, in terms of HRT so that was um very we got we anything we did get taught was quite negative about it so um to the point that i came home to my mother and was like you need to stop taking your hrt you're gonna get breast cancer and she was like don't talk to me about my hormones young lady you're not even a doctor <laughs> yet so go away and she just carried on doing her own thing so she she wasn't very easy to convince and as it turns out she was right so um yeah so she can't understand the furore over hrt and not taking it and all these kind of things because in her day it was very standard you know 
just to clarify, is HRT hormone replacement therapy, yeah? Hormone replacement therapy, yeah. So that's kind of yeah. giving yourself back the hormones that you lose yeah. um, when you transition from uh, para- pre-menopause to menopause, yeah. Uh, and just to ask as well, when, growing up in a kind of a, a family of, of medics, did you ever, were you kind of taught more, like with your parents, did they kind of teach others what you might expect to happen when you grow up? And you're, Or was it also kind of uh, not really spoken about as you were, like, you know, when you're a teenager or when you're kind of, even during your medic studies? Um, so I, I my, fa- my family is probably quite bohemian, so... Um, there's four in my family, so one brother and three sisters, and then uh, my mom and dad. Uh, my dad's passed away, and I built at the time. And I don't know if anything was ever off the table in terms of com- conversation. You know, so so my mom menopause in a very visible fashion. So um, you know, she would have we would have seen the patches that she used for her hormones, um, even things like periods, like the tampons and sanitary towels were just left in the bathroom. No, there, you know, because it was quite an Irish thing to hide it. You know, it was quite shameful to bleed or shameful to, um, those things were very much women's matters and were discussed in quite hushed tones with very, mm. um, specific language, you know, so, um, and that was, you know, the curse or this kind of stuff. Whereas in my family, it was much more kind of, you know, just, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal at all, which I think is a really nice way to do it. And it's made like, even my brother, actually, he's not what age is he? He's like early forties now. And, um, the Davina McCall program was on and my brother texted me and said, are you watching the Davina McCall program about menopause? And I was like, are you? And he was like, yeah, it's really interesting. So, (laughs) and I thought, um, and that's kind of the way he would always have been, you know, he's very comfortable with women and he's very comfortable with women's issues. And and I think that's because it was always um, open season in our house. So to the point that my parents were like, oh my God, can you just not talk about like genitals or, you know, just try and keep the conversation clean, you know, if we had visitors over or whatever, because they just never know what we'd come out with. So, uh, but I think that's made my job much easier because like it doesn't bother me talking about any of that stuff. So I'm often discovering, you know, discussing sex lives with women in their 40s and 50s. And and, and many of them, it wouldn't have been standard to to talk about that kind of stuff. And some of the women are even older. And I, I think if you're comfortable to talk about sex and um, I suppose female pleasure, particularly in that age group and the importance of maintaining your sex life and things like that, like I just, it doesn't bother me in the least. So I think that makes, because I'm obviously not bothered, then I don't think patients are bothered as much either. So they kind of, we have a bit of a giggle and people are feel more comfortable at um, saying things, I suppose. So in some ways uh, it came in handy in the end. <laughs> yeah. And before we get into like the detailed questions and for some people uh, who are listening, um, could, could you kind of give like a doctor's definition of what menopause is and kind of, you know, what someone can expect to see or experience, but, uh, you know, um, so that before we go into, we've kind of got the, uh, we've kind of got it set up and people know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. So, so I suppose menopause is, um, uh, is the cessation of your menstrual period. So, um, and the end of your reproductive life, I suppose, as the female, um, and, women menopause in different ways so most women will um transition through menopause for into perimenopause and then go into menopause and i suppose a lot of people say to me oh um uh, i thought i was over the menopause and you don't get over the menopause you go into the menopause and you remain in the menopause so you'll always be menopausal you'll always be postmenopausal. you won't really be through your menopause because say your hot flushes and stuff might go away 
but your bone density is still declining, your cardiovascular system is aging and things like that. So um, cessation of menstrual periods. And the other way it can happen is surgical menopause. So for example, um, somebody who had a hysterectomy where they took out their ovaries or they took out their ovaries and their uterus or just took out their uterus. So they can do different variations. But um, a surgical menopause essentially for most women will be removal of ovaries and uh, uterus. And when you have a surgical menopause, it's like, it's like a juggernaut of a menopause. So you essentially hit the wall. You're, you have hormones one day and you've none the next. And that is probably the hardest way to do it, you know, particularly um, as many women had their ovaries removed and they were sent home. You know, they didn't have any hormone replacement and um, they could have been any age from God knows it could have been any age, but probably some of them were in their mid 30s and sent home postmenopausal and that not managed at all, which I think is an absolutely it must be incredibly difficult to do. Um, then other women will menopause from radiotherapy. So for cancer treatments like cervical cancer, uh, rectal cancers and things like that. So those women will have a radiation of their pelvis. And um, that causes, firstly, their ovaries shut down because the ovaries are very... Um, the cells in the ovaries have a very high turnover rate. So when you irradiate those, they kind of, they stop working. And again, those women, they may remain in menopause or they may, the, the ovaries might kind of come back around again. And then other ladies getting treatment for breast cancer, they will menopause as well if they have um, breast cancers, which are estrogen or progesterone receptor positive, because they'll be put on to hormone blockers um, and that will put them into menopause. So not only are they dealing with uh, breast cancer diagnosis um the surgery, the chemo, all the rest, but they're also most of the time dealing with menopause. Um, and that's just incredibly tough. I can't imagine how, how hard that must be. Um, and then other women will be um, maybe born with genetic abnormalities or um, for various other reasons, um, autoimmune disease and things. So women may menopause really early with those kind of symptoms or, or those kind of um, diseases or syndromes. And some of them may never get a period at all. So those women go kind of don't don't ever uh go through normal menstrual cycles so those women need to be picked up and given hormones so that they can um you know have have i suppose a, a normal a normal life uh, like all the rest of us i, I guess and what are the signs what are the signs of someone who's going into menopause who maybe they're not sure you know is it's just like a period in their life or they or is this menopause that they don't really know what are the more common signs i should probably should, we should start with and then maybe some of the less common ones like the ones that you post on your facebook page yeah so so first of all so when you're when you're actually formally diagnosed as postmenopausal, you have to have had no vaginal bleed for one year if you're over 50. If you're under 50, um, generally speaking, you need two years. Um, there's kind of like variations on that. Some people say one year, some people say two years if you're under 50. But certainly until recently, um, we would expect you to be um, two years under 50, one year over 50 with no vaginal bleeding. Uh, and those are women who aren't on like a hormonal contraception or something else that will stop their period. So so absence of periods, I suppose, is the most well-known sign of menopause but menopausal transition can start like up to 10 years before you have your last period so if you have your last period on average in the UK is 51 so from about 41 onwards women may start to find that they're um, beginning the menopausal transition and what that means is that they're just kind of um, their estrogen levels are kind of eking 
uh, further down. So they're they're not functioning on as much estrogen as they did in the past. And I suppose um, we would have had a very typical idea of menopause as, you know, period stopping, hot flushes and being a bit narky, you know, and that would kind of, you know, you'd imagine that the kind of, is it a parody, is that the word? You know, when they show um, menopausal women in comedy and stuff like that, you know, it's like the the old lady walking around in her apron giving out to people and you know this kind of oh this sort of stuff going on but um but actually a lot of the menopausal symptoms particularly in younger women will be less hot flushes and more like anxiety um poor sleep uh difficulty coping at work sort of feeling overwhelmed a lot of the time um palpitations are extremely common so an awful lot of women will end up getting ecgs um angiograms even like they'll be getting quite invasive investigations done for hormonally um caused symptoms um other things they can get weight gain loss of libido vaginal dryness um uh i'm trying to think of some of the other things irritability low mood um so lo lots of there's about 30 something recognized symptoms of menopause so i suppose when we talk about um so hot flushes and absence of periods is probably some of the ones that aren't uh as um life altering if you know what i mean so i suppose people get in a lot mm. of anxiety that that can be really really disturbing to your life and um, other people get mm. numbness in their fingers and toes they get muscle twitches they get a feeling of skin um things crawling under their skin and um, they get uh, gastrointestinal um disturbance so i suppose like when you think about it, like your menopause will affect you from the top of your head to the tips of your toes because you have estrogen receptors through your entire body. So if when you start to lose the levels of estrogen and um, it's a free for all in terms of where you might get symptoms, you know, it could be anywhere. So um, so I think it's, uh, you know, and the problem uh, was that we weren't recognizing these symptoms as, as, as perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms. So women would come in and we'd say, well, are you still getting your periods? And they'd go, yeah. And they go, are they still regular? Yeah. And they'd be like, well, it's not your period then. It's not your menopause. Um, and in actual fact, it is. And we can't test for that, really. Do you know, it's more of a clinical diagnosis. So um so if we're, we, we tend to do bloods in women under 45, just in case there's something else going on that we're missing, like a thyroid issue or something like that. But by and large, those blood tests are normal. And then we get a questionnaire filled out called the Greens Criteria. And we use that questionnaire for the most part to diagnose whether women are likely to be perimenopausal. And um, particularly, obviously, postmenopausal is easier to, to tell because they don't have their periods anymore, you know. Um, and then, uh, then we decide on treatment plans according to 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 that. Really, Cassie, am I right in saying that the the most common way in which you can kind of ease the symptoms of menopause would be HRT? Um, so the most effective way is definitely HRT. There are other um, okay. There's lots of lifestyle things that you can do, and I like. I'm a massive fan of lifestyle stuff like I could listen to or read lifestyle podcasts or books or I just find it really fascinating you know all the different and even the stuff that you've done in the past like I, I love I'm really interested in like dementia and sleep and all these different things that 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 uh, and exercise mm -hmm. and everything is as a as a as an entirety to 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 make us the most healthy and best people we can be you know so and menopause is, is very like that, you know, so a good menopause, you're going to have a, 
a good or a better menopause if you modify your lifestyle. And I think um, mid 40s to mid 50s is kind of a real transition time. Like I was even I was at the dentist today getting um, getting uh, at the dental hygienist, actually. And we were talking about um, uh, looking after your gums and looking after your teeth. And I was saying to her that I only really managed to do that properly, probably into my sort of late 30s into my 40s, because I think you're you're just more organized, you're better settled, you're just you recognize the importance of doing these self-care routines and how um doing things right now will pay off into the future. So um so I think mid 40s is a great time um to to kind of start to get all your ducks in a row. So stopping smoking, massively important. Um because women who smoke have worse menopauses. They've way more hot flushes. Their cardiovascular systems are generally not as good. Um their bone density issues are are a huge big deal as well. So stopping smoking for anyone, male or female, um no matter what the age, it's the best thing you could possibly do for your health, but certainly in menopause it's going to make the menopause transition easier. Um looking at your alcohol intake. So Okay. When we talk about HRT, there is a very small increased risk of breast cancer if you take HRT for more than five years. So that's roughly at the very most four additional cases of breast cancer per thousand women over five years. So it's probably okay. about one extra okay. case per thousand people per year. So if we compare that to drinking a large glass of wine every day, that's that would have a breast cancer risk of five additional cases per thousand women. So it's more dangerous to take a lot, two units of alcohol a day than it is to take HRT. And yet women do that all the time. So I'm not a killjoy, like absolutely. If you want to drink, drink, no bother at all. But look at how much you're drinking, how often you're drinking. Um, and, and certainly, uh, you know, that alcohol in it, in excess or above the recommended limits will also make your menopause more difficult. So if you drink alcohol, your hot flushes tend to be worse and um, your sleep is worse. Your anxiety is worse. Your low mood is worse, that kind of thing. So obviously not if you're doing it in moderation, but looking at your alcohol consumption, because women are drinking more than ever. Um, and I think we need to look at the normalization of wine o'clock for women, particularly of my age. Uh, where it's become, you know, like mm. fridge magnets promoting alcohol for women. You've pink drinks, pink gin that's mm. aimed at. Well, you don't see men drinking pink gin. Well, you might, but um, not as often. You see women. You'll see um, rose. Uh, I was in the in a cafe the other day, and I was pointing at my daughter's ten, and I said, "Look at that bottle of wine over there. That is just that is made to to get you to drink it. Just you, not the boys. Just you, because that is that is alcohol designed for women." So I think waking women up to to the um, to what advertising is doing to to get us to drink more. So if you watch, if you watch like um, particularly like say Love Island or something like that, or uh, detective shows or this kind of thing, when you get to a, a break on that, there will be a lovely, beautiful, glamorous woman pouring herself a huge glass of wine, and you'll go, God, I'd love a glass of wine. Look at her. She's having a glass of wine. She's mm. hungover. She's got a lovely figure. Look at her beautiful kitchen, like it's immaculate. So I think I'll have a glass of wine, you know. So I, I so that's something I, I and, and I really do ask women about their alcohol intake. And if that's an issue, I have a, a we, we often that could be what we talk about for the for the vast majority of the consultation. Um, weight is another mm. thing. So weight and exercise. So if you do regular exercise, for example, um, that will help your menopausal transition too. So women who exercise regularly, particularly things like yoga and um, quite 
relaxing types of exercise. Again, there's some evidence to show that your menopause in general is coped with better. Um, it's all the stuff that we already know, you know, um, losing weight. So women who are overweight have worse menopause. They also have a much higher risk of breast cancer. So if you're considering HRT and you're worried about the breast cancer risk, you're much better off losing the weight and taking the HRT because if you're overweight, if your body mass index is more than 30, you have an additional, I think it's 24, 25 cases of breast cancer per thousand women. So like vastly more than HRT would ever do. So I suppose um, looking at the, the different things that we can change in our lifestyle um, and putting those into place in a way that works with the way we live, I suppose, um, would be really important. Um, in terms of non-medical management, like taking things like sage or black gohosh or these kind of things, there's red clover. There's all sorts of like herbal things that people will take. Um, there's not great evidence for them. Um, maybe because there's not a lot of money in the companies researching things like sage. Um, could be. So because I, I see quite a lot of women report um, reduced hot flushes with sage. And I meet a lot of menopausal okay. women, so I'm interested that that seems to come up again and again and again. Um, but we don't have good quality evidence to to say that that definitely works. Um, soya, high soya diet probably works, but um, we'd probably have to live in Japan to really get the to to get enough soya of good quality into us to reduce our hot flushes and things like that. So. Um, yeah, so all those kind of things can can help. So it's not just hormones and it's never just a hormone conversation that I have with women. You know, I'll always, um, I get them to fill in a questionnaire and I'll have a look through it and I'll pick out the things that I'm thinking are are specific to them and specific to their risk and which might help them in their menopause, whether they, you know, make a decision to take HRT or not. Can I ask a really ignorant question? Is there is it a possibility to like um how, do, how can i frame this to kind of push forwards or push back i suppose the, your menopausal like period so let's say like at birth if you imagine that we all have like a body clock if at birth yeah. god grants you and he says different. your body your yeah your transitional period is going to start at 36 is is it possible that if you kind of implemented some of the things that you were saying before if you were never really a drinker if you always like did yoga and all the rest of that stuff could you push that transitional period from 36 to 41 or to 42 or is it kind of like your tr period is set out from birth and all you can do is then manage it better once it comes into play um so i think there are um so, so women who smoke will menopause earlier. So for example, because okay. the tox it's toxic to the ovaries. So certainly we know that menopause will be brought on sooner by uh, smoking. I think it stands to reason to uh, imagine that making healthy lifestyle choices will probably extend your reproductive life. But, um, but I don't know definite evidence to support that. Um, and I do know, you know, very healthy women who, who've done everything, I suppose, in inverted commas, right, and will still, for whatever reason, um, end up menopausing at 40 or something like that. So, in fact, I can think of a friend of mine who that happened to very recently. And I was actually chatting to her last summer about the menopause clinic. And she was going, chief, I'll be on to you in 10 years. And then she sent me a text going, oh, my God. <laughs> I cannot believe it. It's like, I feel like she must think I gave it to her or something. Um, but she was absolutely gone. <laughs> this girl had like, she's like super fit. She's like not overweight. She doesn't smoke. She doesn't drink very much. She had three kids, no bother at all. So I have no, she's no family history. 
menopause came like a like an absolute bolt from the blue. So, yeah. So I think, but I also think, and, and I'm sure you agree that that doing those healthy lifestyle things, it, it, it it's it's so worth it anyway, you know. But yeah, I, I would imagine it probably it probably prolongs lots, not just menopause, but like um like we know it, it if you if you make healthy lifestyle choices you can potentially push a dementia diagnosis um a little bit further down the tracks um mm-hmm. potentially you might mm-hmm. push your first heart attack further away you know there's lots of different or maybe stop it happening um bone density issues maybe maintaining your bone density by not smoking not drinking alcohol and unlike a fractured hip for example is life ending within a year for about 30% of women so if you fracture your hip you're you're likely to to die within thir- or 30% of, of women will die within a year of a hip fracture. So um, it's no small thing, you know? No, I had no idea about that. I'll be yeah. honest. Ka- yeah, Cassie, yeah. can I ask? Um, obviously this is, this is a time where, where science is very much in the spotlight and you're talking about, we don't really have science for this. or we don't really have good evidence for this. Do you remember just a few minutes ago you referenced how you came back when you were in, in university and you came back and you saw your mom taking the HRTs and you said, don't take them mm-hmm. because they'll probably give you breast cancer. Yeah. Is is that because at the time the belief was like there was reasonable evidence or was it just a bit of kind of a period where there wasn't hardcore evidence either or and there was just people promoting one way of looking at it and promoting another way of looking at it? Um, no, so so 20 years ago or thereabouts, so roughly around t- the early 2000s, two very, very large studies were um, were published. Uh, one was called the Women's Health Initiative and the other one was called the Million Women Study. And those studies linked HRT uh, to breast cancer. And from then on, it was an absolute free fall. So basically, um, most or many, many, many women threw their HRT in the bin. And that, and just stop taking it there and then because the link to breast cancer. Um, and in the years since those studies were produced, and, and that resulted in 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 millions of women um, losing out on good menopause care and maybe suffering with these horrendous symptoms um, for, for, you know, without really needing to and without having good information about the risks um, of HRT. So, those studies came out and and that was roughly the time I was in college and the feedback was avoid HRT if you can. If you have to take it, take it for the shortest uh, time possible at the lowest dose. So I was straight up the road to Enniskillen and saying to my mom, you know, stop these patches now. You know, you can't, it's going to give you breast cancer. Um, so, and as I said, she didn't. Uh, and, and, and then since then over the years, um, bit by bit, we've learned that these studies were not very well reported uh, and they overstated the risk of breast cancer with HRT. And, and adding to that as well, that the types of HRT we now use are much more um, body friendly or breast friendly than the stuff that we would have used in the past. So in the past, we used things like pregnant mare's urine to make synthetic estrogen to give to women. And now Women loved it because it was a great estrogen. It made them feel really, really good because, that you know, when you're estrogen deficient and you give estrogen back for many women, they, it's life changing. You know, they feel so much better. Um, but this type of estrogen was synthetic. It was given in very high doses in these studies. In one of the studies, um, the average age of women who were receiving HRT was 62. So that's about 10 years postmenopausal and is a good bit later than what we'd normally give HRT. Um, so uh, so high doses. Um, given orally, 
Uh, it was synthetic. Um, and so lots of differences between what we do now and what was done then. But we don't have good up-to-date studies yet to, to say what is um, the modern HRT breast risk. So we know it's very likely to be a good bit less, uh, but we don't know exactly how much less. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. And the other thing... I, just I, I'm just say, so, so fascinated. Yeah, I was just going to say the other thing with HRT that we... So, so we talk when we, when we, like a lot of patients will say to me, they hear the word HRT and the first thing that comes into their head is breast cancer. Straight off, they don't think of anything else. Mm -hmm. So, and the thing we have to remember, so yes, breast cancer is a risk with HRT if you take it for more than five years, but there are also really good benefits from HRT. And I think that, it, that when I meet women in the clinic, they're well-educated. They are, they are women who are who are very well able to make a decision for themselves on what they would like to do with their own menopause care. So they don't, you know, what I do is I give them the information and then let them decide on whether they want to take HRT or not. Nobody has to take HRT. You know, it's not, it's not something like if you've diabetes, you have to take insulin. So nobody has to take HRT. Each woman or each woman has to make this decision for themselves and what they're most comfortable with in terms of risk and benefits. So when you take HRT, you reduce your risk of osteoporotic fracture um, in the region of about 30 to 40%. You reduce your cardiovascular risk. So your risk of heart attack and stroke will decrease by roughly the same amount, sort of 30 to 40%. There is some evidence to suggest that wow. HRT reduces your risk of dementia. We don't really know if that's a definite, but it looks likely that it is the case. Um, it seems to be dependent on when you start it. So it seems to be more beneficial when it started in the perimenopause and not postmenopausally. Um, so it's almost like it's better to put estrogen back in when you start to lose it rather than waiting for you to, to run out. So, so estrogen seems, okay. to be, and we also know that if you had a hysterectomy and removal of your ovaries in your thirties and you weren't given estrogen replacement therapy, your risk of dementia is vastly higher than if you, um, than if you had, uh, not had your hysterectomy or if you'd had a hysterectomy and been given back your, your estrogen with, um, the patch or gel. So that's the, the benefits of it, I suppose, as well as worth noting. Thanks a million for that, Cassie. This is very, this is very informative. <laughs> I really want to talk about like stigma and, and what we, we can potentially do like as men who don't experience this to help uh, the women in our lives with that process. But before I touch on that, are there any other misconceptions or in and around menopause that we haven't touched upon that it would be nice to just knock out away? Like that's, that's nonsense or that's often thought of, but it's not true. Yeah. I did. I, I wrote this down earlier and then I think I forgot to take it with me because it was, I thought it was an interesting question. Um, I suppose that uh, I guess this this idea of menopausal women as being sort of over the hill or past it or something, you know, um, because I find menopausal women are, you know, a force of nature. You know, they're they're running big companies. They're very like they've tons of ideas and plans and they're starting new businesses and they're doing all sorts of stuff. So I think um, thinking and, and I think sometimes we we feed into that narrative, you know, that we lose confidence in ourselves and we don't put ourselves forward for promotion and we don't think that we're able to cope with the jobs that we're in. And I think when we get your hormones sorted out, you realize that you're actually still the same person. You're still well able for, for the job you're doing and you probably have more experience than anybody else doing it, you know. So I think that's important. Um, 
I think uh, myths are, you know, that like like you have to be old to be menopausal. You know, I think that's a that's a, a bit of a myth, you know, uh, and like I said earlier, things like that, it's just a few hot flushes and a bit of grumpiness. Um, I think that we have to, to recognize menopause as a as a as an enormous amount of symptoms and, and kind of um, be aware, to, be aware of them. And I think women need to be educated so that when things when the wheels start to come off, they they know what's wrong with them so they can they can manage it, you know. Thanks for that, Cassie. Yeah. Even when when I was reading that potentially women who had never really suffered with anxiety could then have a pretty significant issue with anxiety as a result of the onset of menopause, you think the impact on mental health would, would have been huge. Mm. Well, and that m- many women don't really have the preparation for this. Yeah, well, when you think about women and mental health, so where did they get the word hysterical from? Is to do with hysterectomy or a hist like uterus. So, so this kind of idea of crazy okay. women is is centuries old, I suppose. And certainly, the person who termed it hysterectomy or hysteria had some kind of inkling that women's hormones and women's health seem to have some kind of impact on their brains. Do you know? And that's kind of a start of something, but we sort of seem to work that out and then just not work anything else out, which I think is a huge disservice to women. And I think um, and I think this idea of like a crazy 40, 50 something year old women with who are neurotic and hypochondriacs and, you know, I, I really think that needs to stop. I think it's deeply unfair, you know, um, and, and I think that we need to recognize things like fibromyalgia is probably for many women is probably actually um, menopausal. Like I, it may, for many women, they probably don't have fibromyalgia. They've probably got aches and pains from low estrogen. Um, for women who are going in complaining of low okay. mood and being put in antidepressants, they're not depressed. They're just hormone deficient. Not all of them. And some people need both. But I think we need to open our eyes to the fact that from 40 onwards, the women coming to us as general practitioners or into any branch of, um, you know, caring for people within a, um, a service, even what you're doing yourself. So so women who have, um, say, within disability services and things like that, like those women menopause and, and you know, who who speaks for them, you know, Um I had a lady once in GP who uh, had moved over from uh, Bangladesh and her she didn't speak English and it took so long. She was very young and actually a lot of Indian and Bangladeshi women and, and Pakistani women tend to menopause a little bit earlier than we do. Um, so she had menopause okay. very, very early, but because she didn't speak English and I obviously don't speak Bangladeshi, I'm not even sure what they speak there, but... Um, but yeah I don't really know what it is but she had this lovely daughter who came in but I didn't know the questions to ask and she and they kept going she has fevers she has fevers she's hot she has fevers all the time and 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 it took ages and she must have been in and out for about a year and I was like oh my god she's menopausal and I because she was only in her 30s um it took me so long to diagnose her. And it was before I was kind of doing this. It was a couple of years ago. And I was like, it was like a light bulb came on. I was like, of course she thinks she's got fevers because she's bloody boiling all the time in the middle of Ireland, you know. So um, I just remember thinking that was, uh, yeah, really interesting. So, so those kind of women as well, you know, people need information in their own languages. They need perhaps people that they can talk to in their own languages about their symptoms. They need good um 
translating services so they can come into a doctor and really tell you what's going on. And if that, you know, if those things are put in place, I think that would be an amazing thing for women because I think that that that, um, and like I said, women coming in saying, you know, I feel depressed or I feel anxious or I. I've got my my fingers are numb and my toes are numb and my hair is falling out. And and instead of going, oh, my God, what is with all your problems? Why don't we go, what could possibly be bothering this lady who's 45 to 55? You know, what could possibly be going wrong that's making her entire system malfunction? And if we just sit back for two seconds and look at the patient, that question will probably be answered for us, you know, or the patient will probably Mm. tell us, you know. So I think that that um, would be a brilliant thing for women. You know, I think it'd be great to see that change happening. And I think we're going to, you know, it'd be brilliant. Absolutely. I guess I wanted to ask, have you not, have you noticed a difference even say like the last 12 months or so? Do you feel like it's less stigmatized? It's it's more in the open space? Yeah, I do. Um, it's actually been a really interesting time, you know, for, for, for me working where I'm working because, um, it's things like particularly women who work with other women. So um, you tend to find in teaching profession, there's an awful lot of women nurses. So the nurses, obviously, most nurses are still female. So um, they will tend to talk to each other on breaks and shifts and stuff. And so one person will get their hormones and then they're like, do you know what's wrong with you? You probably it's probably your hormones. And then like somebody else is going, oh, my God, I never even thought about that. And you know, that, and I, I would kind of encourage people to say to them, you know, say this to your colleagues, you know, if you see your colleague, because now you find yourself going, oh God, that poor woman, she's so menopausal. You know, you'll see the woman in Centra buying her groceries and then she can't find the purse and she's getting all red from here up and she's like, you know, and you're going, oh God, would somebody just give her, give her some help and give her some hormones or, you know, or just, you know, tell her it's okay. And I think what guys can do or men can do is to, make it okay to say to somebody, you know, uh, you know, if you're working with a lady who who is menopausal, that she can say, oh God, you know, because brain fog, you know, where your brain just glitches um, and you forget your words or you walk into a room and you don't know why you're there and stuff like that. I think in a work environment to say, you know, to, it's okay for them to say, oh, so it's a menopausal moment, you know, or, or I'm bloody boiling mm-hmm. and I just open the door because it's my hormones or whatever. I think if we make it a very normal topic of conversation where people aren't embarrassed to call it out then you know then will it be doing an awful lot for everybody you know absolutely seb does your mom ever talk about it with you um i was gonna no before this podcast i would have said she's over it obviously i now know that is not the case um (laughs) but um there was like there's definitely a period where it was kind of more pronounced just in the sense of all of a sudden like the the French doors be flung open and it's like December and you know, what's happening here? And she, she, yeah. She's like got hot flushes. You're like, Oh, okay. Or she'd have to like, sometimes we'd have to go for a bit of a lie down. Like at whenever, like, I don't know, 2 PM on a Saturday. Do you know what I mean, when normally she'd be up and about doing stuff, but she just have to yeah. take a bit of a rest. Um, she started taking like naps and stuff, but it wasn't majorly spoken about. I don't actually know if she ever did hormone replacement therapy or not. I couldn't actually mm-hmm. tell you, um, but I was going to ask, how does you said there like to make it what men could do um you know we can make it easier for it to be like a uh uh a topic that's spoken about and brought up and not kind of you know 
bring stigma onto it. But I wonder how a man could actually not say that we can't do that, but I just wonder what are the realities of that, how we could do that. Because what I would imagine is like a man being like, Oh, you menopausal, like it's all right, don't worry yeah. about it, or something like that. And maybe getting shot down, like, do you know what I mean, like, well, you're not right, you can't be saying that to me. Cause I think as well within the within a lot of women, like my mom and I'm sure many others, it's like there's almost a bit of a stigma within themselves. They don't want to bring it forward anyway. They're kind of like, well, I can cope. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a boss, I'm this, I, it doesn't matter about my hormones, I'll get on with it. So I feel like it might be dangerous territory for a man to almost bring it up first. But I don't know how you welcome yeah. that on. You know, in a in a obviously in the home relationship, of course, where you've got that open dialogue, but in a maybe more professional sense, I don't know how, as a man or as a colleague, you could kind of bring that conversation on without potentially um, overstepping the mark or being seen as like making a remark that wasn't, you know, okay in the office to make or something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's a bit like saying, "Oh, I've got the painters in." You know the way they sit. You know, with periods and yeah. stuff. <laughs> You know, the way you're like yeah. men, oh, time of the month is it or something, you know, which was is obviously deeply exactly. offensive and, and was... Um, yeah, of course. Probably, like when I was growing up, like the guys, the teenage guys would be saying that kind of stuff to us all the time. Or oh, you're on the rag or there'd be all these like horrible expressions for like if you lost the bap about anything, it would automatically be assumed that you were having your period. And I was like, oh, crap. well, no, you're just annoying. So, you know... It's not because yeah. I've got my period, because you're just annoying. You know, that's, 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 that, that still happens. So I know what you mean. And, or it's a bit like asking someone when the baby's due when they're not pregnant, you know, so I can understand how there's, yeah. um, there's, or offering your seat or something when they're, when they're not pregnant. So I, I know what you mean. I suppose, um, in some ways, so say if you were working in a, uh, an environment that you could, uh, if you were in a managerial role where you would say, well, could we have like a menopause policy? There is that kind of stuff going on where, um, where you know to 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 put things in place there and i don't know if that's even things like um allowing somebody to sit beside an open window or you know or uh taking stepping out of a meeting or i'm not really sure what the there's certainly there there are women who specialize in menopause policy setting it up and all that kind of thing um Mm -hmm. i guess uh i guess even sort of seeing it happen but but um, seeming like somebody who would be open to conversation or whatever, but I, I, I don't know. I think my feeling is that you're not going to have to bring it up. I mm. think women are growing in confidence where they're feeling that it's okay to to bring this up, and I think that um, it's funny. So, so women will say to me things like, um, "Oh, uh, I was chatting to my mom about my menopause or her menopause, and she said like she hardly noticed it." And I was like, "Oh, right, okay." And uh, I was like, "Women are amazing, you know, because we're really, really designed to forget loads of hormonal stuff. So, when we have a baby, it is flipping agony. Like it really is so incredibly sore. And then you go off, and six months later, you're going cheaper. Do you know I wouldn't mind another baby? Like." They really are. They're lovely, aren't they? They really are great. I think I'll do the whole thing all over again. And then you're just like going to the maternity unit and you're like, oh my God, what am I doing back here? You suddenly are going, God, I remember this is so bad. Why am I here? And at that point, you're already on the slide. So you've got to have the baby. And then six months later, in my case, mm. nearly, you're like, God, that was great. I might have another one. So I think um, when it comes to hormonal events for women, they have a great ability to kind of forget. Do you know, or to to minimize what they went yeah. through, and I think 
designed exactly that way. So we keep going back and having more babies, you know, because ultimately we're designed to make babies. That is our biological, you know, whether we want babies or we don't want babies, our body doesn't know that. Our body just thinks that's all we're here for. We're as bad as coronavirus. We're just here to make more of ourselves. And that's our sole job. Now, so obviously we mm-hmm. up here, we know that there's so much more important, you know, that, that women are not just here to make babies, but but our biology yeah. is a very strong driver towards pr- reproduction. So when we have a baby, we're, we walk away and we're like going, that wasn't so bad. You know, that was grand, you know, and, mm. and very soon we forget it. So I think we're a little bit like that with our menopause, where we go through this awful hormonal turbulence. And once we're kind of through the hot flushes and the poor sleep and all the rest of it, I think we have an ability to reflect. Like, so our mothers go, oh, wasn't that bad? Actually, I didn't really notice it. You know, I barely noticed my menopause, you know, and then the, then their daughters would be like, oh, my God, she was like a flipping banshee for like 10 years. I couldn't <laughs> even look at her. She was so bad tempered. And the mother will have kind of forgotten that, you know, so I think this kind of um, saying, no, my menopause is grand. And then yeah. my mom said, yeah, my menopause is fine. And my sister was like, that's because you took hormones for like 20 years. So like you didn't even actually have a menopause. <laughs> so, you know, um, so I think that's, uh, yeah, I think where, so, whereas I have a lot of women now saying, for example, they they can't believe how bad they feel menopausing. So they're really determined to talk to their daughters about menopause and they're really determined to talk to their sons about menopause. So like I'll have women who have like three boys at home and they're going, well, I am going home and I will tell my sons exactly how difficult this is. And I will have this conversation with them so that they understand menopause. And then when they have a, a, if they have a wife in the future or a girlfriend or a colleague or somebody else who's menopause, and then they'll understand Mm. more about it. So I think it's going to come from the Mm. women. And they're going to open that conversation mm, yeah. to men. By the time um, yeah, I think, future generations, they're going to be more comfortable. Yeah, I think probably like a silent mm-hmm. understanding, especially like in the workplace, is probably best. Exactly, yeah. And then just let them come to you rather than you know, if they if they start forgetting things or like they nag at you all of a sudden it's like out of character just chalk up to menopause without actually like trying to confirm it just give them the benefit of the <laughs> doubt and then if they come to you then that's great if not just stay silent keep your head down and just try and be as understanding as possible i reckon it's probably the best vote bring them a cup of tea they'll they'll think yeah it <laughs> does does that help on the hot flush would they be likely to throw it back in your it'll face have it'll have gone by then or 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 you could bring them <laughs> hedge bets and bring them an ice yeah, water both like an ice water yeah. and a cup of tea yeah. like, <laughs> preferably yeah. decaf but, uh, yeah no i think you're right i think a silent um a silent understanding of it you know that you're not just like oh jeepers you know joyce is such a pain like she's always losing her bap and you see how red her face goes and this kind of stuff you know because funny hot flushes the more you think about them, the worse they get. So they're kind of like, um, so actually CBT can work quite well for hot flush because if you give it um, airtime, it gets worse. Whereas if you just kind of go, oh, don't worry about it. Like, who cares if my face is red or who cares that, you know, then it, it can, um, it can, it can take its power away from it, you know? So I think, um, I think that's a, right. a good way to go as well. Mm. Like a psychological management of it um, is important too. And obviously not everybody wants hormones and not everyone can take hormones. So, um, there have to be, and people can menopause perfectly well without taking hormone replacement therapy and millions of women choose, choose to do so and have done so for generations, you know, um, but it's great to have options, you know, and for women for whom perimenopause and menopause is particularly difficult. Um, it's really, really good that we can give them something that makes them feel so much better, you know? And I, I think, yeah, doing the job I'm doing I've never 
ever given out any kind of treatment that has the the positive impact that this does. Like I've never had so many women coming back saying like they feel like their old self again. Or a lady emailed me this week saying my anxiety has mm. completely abated, like it's amazing. Or women who haven't slept for years yeah. who are like, oh my God, like I have forgotten how good it is to sleep. Like, can you imagine that? Just getting your sleep given back mm. to you is just incredible, you know? And the benefits... <laughs> good sleep is going to buy them down the road for their dementia risk um although or even short term like you're much more likely to crash your car if you haven't slept properly you know so mm. um so i i kind of look at it as weighing up risks versus the benefits of like good sleep and all those kind of things as well like it's really uh, you know it's quite powerful stuff you can't have it though <laughs> totally i, I, I even <gasps> even as <laughs> <laughs> My husband we'll this one even time. as I think about it, <laughs> I should say my husband. Well, really wants I was going to ask, even though it's not menopausal, but I've I've heard like a few of the, <laughs> like a, a few of the podcasters that I've heard who are like, um, uh, let's say the elderly gentlemen entering their fifties and stuff. I know a few of them have gone on to like a um, HRT, you know, for testosterone and stuff like that, and they always talk mm. about how it's like giving them more vitality and they're able to do more sports and obviously they don't deal with like as it, it, what you guys go through with menopause it's more just kind of like a they just feel like they're getting older and then this uh, hormone replacement therapy kind of like gives them or some of their youth again at least that's, that's how it's like i've heard it over like podcasts and stuff so yeah a bit, yeah basically they feel a bit <laughs> like oh this is nice a nice little shot on the arm um yeah. can do the band well, but yeah so I think so women actually so part of hormone replacement therapy for women is often testosterone as well because we also produce testosterone and testosterone is what gives mm -hmm. us our libido and um exercise ability and muscle strength and that kind of stuff um but I right. do think that menopause I suppose is something that needs to be spoken about as well so things like erectile dysfunction it's just not talked about particularly I don't know in Ireland maybe England it's better I'm not too sure but um no. erectile dysfunction it's so so common and it can be a real um red flag for other types of um uh health issues so erectile dysfunction in men is really commonly is, is a is a big risk factor for future heart attack and things like that so um and that's part of I've, I've listened to some really brilliant podcasts from men talking about kind of this similar stuff for men you know that when mm. they drop their testosterone their mood drops yeah. their muscle mass re de decreases their exercise ability decreases their libido goes down they get the, you know they find it hard to sustain um, erection and things like that and that's a that's a big deal like that's a huge deal. Those mm. are massive things in, in men as well. So um, I'm looking at their cardiovascular risk and their blood pressure and their prostate things and that because men, women are used to going to doctors. We we go for smear tests. We go for um, having babies. We generally are the people who bring sick children in. So we're very comfortable in doctor surgeries, whereas men really aren't, you know, because you basically go in as children with your mother. Yeah. And then you don't go back again unless you, you you know something goes drastically wrong. So I think we need to be bringing men in like mid thirties and saying, right, you know, what did your dad? Is your dad still around? Has your dad had any heart problems? Do you have any cholesterol issues in your family? Like I've men coming into me at like 
55 saying, well, I haven't been to a doctor in 25 years. So I'm like clearly as fit as a fiddle. And I'm like, really? Just because you haven't been doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with you, you know? So, and then they're smoking <laughs> 20 a day and they're drinking too much yeah. and their cholesterol's like nine and their blood pressure's off the charts. And you're just like, oh my God. Um, so I think that making it normal for men to come to doctors and get like a, an MOT done or an NCT is really important that we need to push that agenda in men as well as women, you know, that what, what mm. we need to need to look after ourselves, you know? Yeah, for sure. Cassie, on a lighthearted note, I guess to close as a GP, have you ever come across like some medical marvels? Like you, you, you hear about their lifestyle and you're just going, how are you still living how you're living? Oh, you know, like yeah. you're drinking, you're smoking, you're not drinking water, you're not exercising, you're not doing that. You're not, and they look okay well, and they're happy. Look, I, I, we certainly have like, um, God, I had a fella, he was in his 90s and he came into the hospital I was working in and he had a bowel cancer and they were like, oh my God, there's just no point in operating on this guy. And and he was adamant he wanted it and he smoked like a trooper. And um, so you had to walk a really long way to smoke your cigarettes in the hospital. So he went under anesthesia, had this enormous tumour removed and he was literally back up the next day out smoking a fag, way down the end of the hospital. And I was like, you see, Cigarettes got that man out of bed. Cigarettes saved his life. You see, look at that. <laughs> no hanging around. So, or another guy who's in his like late seventies, uh, maybe early eighties, and he rings me all the time because he gets um, stomach pain in the nighttime, and uh, that's generally because he wakes up and smokes a cigarette, and then he just smokes them all night. So I'm like, if you just maybe, maybe just like don't light the cigarettes when you wake up at night. Maybe you could drink like kefir or something. So he took up kefir as a hobby. And he thought it was the best thing ever. So he used to always go, Jesus, doctor, that gaffer stuff's fantastic. Like this here. And then I was over visiting him and he had, um, <laughs> so all he did was smoke cigarettes, drink Lucasade and eat biscuits. And he was like into his early 80s. So yes, there are the exceptions to the rule. But um, yeah, if that was me, I think I'd already be dead. So um, yeah. What, does, does that give you, I, I just imagined like, is that, that reminds me of like a teacher who has like the student who never studies but manages to get an A star. Does that like kind of give you like the red mist when you're like, Jesus Christ, I'm giving all this like advice to all of my other patients and look at this guy here blatantly ignoring everything that I'm telling him to do. And he's one of the healthiest subs about. Yeah, these are the patients, though. Firstly, they're a great crack because you're just like, oh, for goodness sake, like you're ridiculous. And there's no way you'd suggest they stop smoking because you're quite sure it would kill them at this point. So you just don't mention the fags at all. But you have to kind of like like that guy doesn't even put his cigarettes out for you to listen to his chest. But he's fab like, you know, and he's uh, is totally compass meant. It's like not a bother in his brain or anything. So I guess um, you get all sorts, you know, and then you get the really unlucky ones and and uh, and things don't go well for them. So you know it's a it's a funny one so i don't it doesn't it doesn't bother me at all i kind of like that you know i like the fact that there's some some winners <laughs> out there that still do it anyway you know but i was laughing when you said like yeah but aren't like most people who are like billionaires like left school at 15 or something so you know if you think of all these really rich people like a lot of them yeah. didn't even get third level yeah, here's, education here's to us suckers following the rules exactly exactly so if you really want your kids yeah. to do well you probably need to get them out of they didn't play by the rules 15 or something like that 
Yeah, and if they're healthy, get them on the fags early. Yeah, <laughs> the no, takeaway from the podcast. No, I am. <laughs> I'm a huge believer in healthy living. I have my husband's head absolutely wrecked with the the, the endless like fatty mad things I come out with. But um, but uh, but at the same time, I do I do love the old fellas or the old ladies who were who were bucking the trends because uh, yeah, they're kind of the funnest patients most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is great to hear. Well, Cathy, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Um, and no I just hope uh, I know we talked about like best case scenario in terms of men. Sorry, I, I know we were talking about best case scenarios for men, but I guess I like the uh, possibility of someone coming across some information like this uh, about menopause and then just lightly being able to like say to their mom or their auntie, like just you know, a quiet word, like, Oh, I know a bit about menopause if, if there's an issue. Like, do let me know if you if if you feel like you can't say it to someone, or you feel like, yeah, you can just chat to me about it. You know, um, I think that could go a long way, and uh, I really appreciate the work you're doing. I really appreciate the time, uh, and it was fun as well. Yeah, yeah, had a great time. Thanks very much for asking me. Have a nice evening. Hi guys, thank you for listening to the podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five star review if you haven't already. Every review helps us climb the podcast charts so that even more of you can listen to our amazing guests. We really appreciate the support. Remember to tune in next week. But until then, keep safe and have a good one.